0: Hi, it's Abby laurie the host of Chatter, a podcast from kanos Chatter is a podcast that talks about some of the interesting ideas and topics we currently have going on in kanos projects. Watch this space for more episodes coming soon. Today, we're here with Dan Berry. So, hi, I'm Dan, um, I'm a user researcher in Kainos. Thank you, Dan. Dan, welcome to the show. So let's get started. So Dan, tell us a bit about what you believe user research is to you and how it should be conducted in women projects. Okay, cool. So. There's probably a number of different
1: ways we can describe user research, but I'm going to be a little bit boring and stick with Wikipedia's definition, um, just to make it easy, because it might go on a bit. But it describes it this way. So user research focuses on understanding user behaviours, needs and motivations through a range of research methods, such as observation techniques, task analysis, and other feedback methodologies like web usability testing. And just to give the quote that Wikipedia used from a guy called Mike Kuniavsky, who states that it's the process of understanding the impact of design on the given audience, so the audience of that product. So I think it's a really important distinction to make. Now the thing with user research is that it's really there to kind of drive and inform the design and development of any product or service that we're trying to build before you then start looking at things like usability. It's also an iterative and cyclical process. It's not sort of something you preload at the beginning of a project or something you do at the end. It should be in every kind of project stage as you iterate and improve the product or service that you're working on.
0: No, that's great. So just taking on from what you've just said there, When you're going through different stages within a project, so for example, um, Discovery, Alpha, BF, what role do you think user research plays within each role, or do you think that's not the case? No,
1: it definitely is the case. So user research should be present in every single project. Stage basically, mm-hmm. so um, you can even mm-hmm. take it back, you know, as far back as the sales pitch. Okay, so how are you are going to you know think about research planning at that kind of stage, and then it's really really important in inception and discovery through to alpha. Mm-hmm. And I'll come on to talk about the different types of research in a second. But yeah, user centered design and the whole process of user research should be embedded in every project stage.
0: Okay, what about some of the projects that we currently hear about? So for example, there's loads of data driven projects like data as a service. Yep. The research conducted then might not be done with a user researcher because they're more kind of um, concerned about data setups and architecture and structure and things of that nature.
1: Yeah. So there are a number of projects where it's kind of almost felt that user research isn't really valuable. But at the end of the day, even with data projects, there's going to be some human interaction at some point. Yeah. Whether it's the input of that data or, you know, working with the outputs. Mm -hmm. And that could be caseworkers or data analysts, that kind of thing. They are still users of the system. So it's still useful to have somebody from a research perspective to, you know, talk to them and uncover their needs Um, rather than sort of ignoring it and almost considering there's not a user of the system, there will be users. There can be very, very few cases where there isn't a user involved at some stage. So again, really, it's important to bring somebody in, even if it's just like an advisory role, you know, to help the business analyst or the, the, the product lead who's working on that project, maybe formulate a plan to, you know, ask the right questions. Okay, that's cool. What do you think we should be doing more of? regarding user research? So I think there's, there are a number of things here. And I think just the thing I've just mentioned, so, you know, talking to the other researchers within Kainos mm-hmm. um, and from previous experience, it's about using or you know having re- user research early on in projects. So mm-hmm. Like I said earlier on about, you know, informing the way that we pitch into projects, how the research is going to drive that forward. Um, and it's really, really vital in setting up a project. So inception, discovery, going through into alpha, that's really when research is like it's probably most vital. What we tend to see with a lot of projects is research comes in far too late. So you end up testing, you know, usability testing, something that's already been put together. So there's a solution already in place. Yeah. And what you'll find when you do the usability testing that you'll start to uncover things that, that could have been uncovered have got, yeah. much, much earlier. And you could probably save a lot of time, resource, money, etc. cetera, mm. ironing those things out, basically. Whereas when you do it later on, you've already built something. Yeah. The developers and the client are probably... A lot less willing to change things around. There's a return on investment argument there that's normally yeah. pretty clear. But you know, some people are quite resistant to research early on. Again, when we come back to talk about the different types of research and the methods, you know, there are different things to inform the project at the beginning and ones at the end. But it shouldn't just be usability testing.
0: On projects, what do you think the relationship should be like between the user researcher and let's say, like maybe specifically the BA or the design or the content? So, yeah, it's a really good question.
1: I think there are, again, probably a couple of ways of looking at this. So the relationship with the sort of business analyst or sort of product lead Mm -hmm. and the product owner Mm -hmm. or the service manager, so somebody from the client side, that relationship there is really, really important. There's like three key people, often referred to as like this holy trinity. So you've got the business, the client. You've got the business analyst who's going to try and translate those business needs and user researcher who's going to look at the user needs. There needs to be some balance So that working relationship is really, really important. And why it's important is because if you go too far towards business needs or too far towards user needs, you often get something that's just a bit zany. Um, So that balancing (laughs) is really key. And then the other way of looking at it is the relationship with the rest of the team. Again, it's really, really important. Probably a slightly different dynamic in that when you go out and do the research, you really want to try and involve members of the team in being part of it, yeah. so they can come along and observe. Yeah, you need that nice. early buy in. Yeah. And take development teams, for example, you know, without asking them, although they don't typically get asked on projects, but a lot of them would like to know what they're working on and why they're developing it. Mm-hmm. And user research can often help them to get that picture. Yeah. So, you know, rather than doing something to help us, so why are we, what are we putting all this effort into? Why is it costing so much on the ticket? And, you know, if they're involved in that research and they can see the benefits of developing it, it makes things a lot easier. Um, it's also good because you know in the GDS scheme of things, um, they used to call it uh, user research as a team sport. you used to see the posters up in different government buildings, and their mandate was that members of the development team and the wider team should spend at least two hours per month being involved in research and analysis. Okay. So there are a number of different ways, I think we're going to come on to it a bit later, but there are a number of different ways.
0: Making sure that the teams involved. Just for the record, GDS is Government Digital Services. Government Digital Service, yeah. Yeah. So, if you had to find yourself in a project where the relationship is not as you've just described, right, that holy trinity that yeah. you just mentioned, like, what would you say should be done to try and get that to that stage or formulate that? This is quite a tricky question because it happens
1: a lot. The whole process of user-centered design is becoming more and more popular. A lot of the projects we work in, uh, the Government Digital Service have helped to really kind of promote the benefits of doing it. You've got a lot of the return on investment arguments that we talked about earlier, Um, but you're still going to get people who are very delivery-focused. Yeah. Um, And trying to crack that can often be quite tricky, and you'll often find that there's only one user researcher in a team, and the work that they have to do is quite substantial. So all the planning of the research, the recruitment, the conducting of it, the analysis, all that kind of stuff, but then you've also got the evangelisation of the process. So if you've got that set up with the sort of product owner business analyst and they're very focused on delivery very very difficult to change that mindset yeah um but it's often through involving them in the process and getting them to see the benefits or the benefits of the research so seeing firsthand how somebody might be struggling with the service so you know for example if it's a form asking somebody to submit details to or return their tax or something or change their driving license and you can see somebody struggling with it it would begin to show that there's an argument that you know, research is going to help you to improve and refine that product or that service to the point where, you know, people are less likely to have those issues. That's one of the key points of user research is to make products and services as
0: usable as possible. Yeah, and as human-friendly as possible. You
1: mentioned recruit
0: before. Can you just go into a bit more detail just so people understand what you mean by recruit?
1: So, obviously, with user research and the the focus on representing the voice of the user, we have to do a lot of research with people, so we can't make any assumptions. Okay, um, and the best thing we can do is actually get out and speak to people or invite them into usability sessions, for example. Now, you can always use a recruitment company to, to find people, bring them into a session for you, but there are going to be a lot of occasions where the researcher actually has to go out and do that work
0: In as well as everything else.
1: Yeah, it's really time consuming. It can often be very frustrating because you're often relying on people to give up their time to come and spend an hour with you. So, there's a lot of chasing and what have you. So, it's quite time-consuming, it can be quite draining sometimes, Yeah, but ultimately rewarding when you fill a day's worth of usability sessions with
0: people who fit the profile that you're researching with. So when you're conducting the user research yeah. sessions, what kind of methods and techniques do you recommend to be used? There are a number of ways that you can
1: kind of slice and dice user research, so... The first one is probably the one that most people have heard of, is to make a distinction between uh, qualitative research and quantitative. Um, So qualitative research is typically things like uh, ethnographic studies, observation, contextual inquiry, interviews, um, usability testing in its different formats like guerrilla testing, etc. And quantitative is uh, more around numbers and data, so things like surveys, web analytics, um, and other automated things like A-V testing. Okay. Uh, and the nice thing with the two different sides is that the quantitative typically tends to give you the, the what what's happening. So mm-hmm. it will flag something up, and then the qualitative allows you to explore why that's happening. Okay. Um, so in partnership, the two sides work really, really well together. Um, it doesn't happen in all projects, but where it does, it's really, really good. But then you can also look at user research as being... What we call formative or generative. So that's where the research is really there to kind of discover and uncover new things for you and inform how a project's going to kind of pushed on. So interviews are a good example. So you go out to interview the users that you're building the service for to Mm. find out about their pain points, their needs, all that kind of stuff. That then feeds into a plan of you know uh, things like personas, journey maps, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then you have what we call summative uh, research, which is typically a little bit further on down the line, where you probably have a prototype that's pretty well developed, and you'll be doing things like web usability testing in a fairly sort of iterative manner, so you'll be going sprint from sprint, taking those findings and improving, so you're more in a sort of evaluative phase. When you come to pr- how that fits into the project life cycle, typically at the beginning from inception through discovery and into the parts of alpha, it's likely to be what we call formative. Once you get into uh, into the beta stages and then through into live, it's more likely to, to be summative. Okay, so it works out quite nicely.
0: All right. How should the user research conducted be played back, and like what should we be looking for? Okay, so again, this goes back to the whole thing about user research being
1: a team sport. It's really important, I think, to make sure that as many of the team involved are part of that whole research thing. So that could be through observation. So, you know, again, to use the project we've just been working on, you know, I set up the lab-style sessions. Mm -hmm. So that's myself in a room with a, a user doing usability testing of the prototype. And in a separate room, we have observers from the team. So that's the development team, yourself, the client, wider stakeholders who are seeing firsthand what's happening within that usability test. But as part of that, there's also... We want people who are observing to actually take part. So you're not just there to watch. You're there to take notes, note down the things that are happening. So, you know, if the user's made, you know, getting lost or can't find an action that we've asked them to do, that would be part of the note-taking process, which just helps the wider team's understanding of what's going on, what's good, what's bad. And as part of that, they can also be part of the analysis afterwards. So everyone will have a view. Once the session's finished, we can get together, talk about all the notes that have been scribble down and start to work out what are things that really matter so you can put some sort of priority against how those actions are going to be taken forward and of course the benefit of doing it is that you've agreed all of it as a team where you possibly can't get the team to observe so you might be doing research
0: out in the wild so for example I might go to one of the... So before you go into more detail about that, you mentioned, you and I worked together and yeah. we were in that session together but also for the wider stakeholders, can you elaborate more on what they took? From that session, from being involved in it, because I think it's a good story to be told.
1: It, it is. It's, it goes to emphasise one of the points you made earlier on. So, the stakeholders and the client will see firsthand exactly how their service is working. Um, so they will get to see whether the users are finding it easy to use or difficult to use. So rather than us go out do analysis and then play it all back to them, mm. they've already seen it. Yeah. So there's no shock. There's no surprise. They're not waiting a week for a, you know usability report to be written. They've seen it firsthand. You know, for the best part of the world, a lot will expect everything to work fairly smoothly. Yes. And so it's breaking that down. Yeah. You know.
0: Yeah, no. I guess the reason I was um questioning Dan further about that was when we had clients on site who were part of the usability testing in the other room, they actually saw how their product stroke service was being received by the end users and they saw the disconnect between what they perceived as being this perfect thing that people would get into and the people who they were creating it for using it and being like, wait, what's what's this? Why is this being done this way?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's all about building evidence. So if for example you have a usability testing day, the lab sessions that we held, for example, yep. and we have six people in, now five out of the six are failing on a particular task, then we've got all the evidence we need to go back and say, what do we do about this? How are we going to resolve that particular yeah. issue? And the idea is that, you know, if everyone's been involved in that session, it's going to be an easier discussion to have and it allows allow us to move a little bit quicker, so, you know, we could rectify that particular problem. Take into the next round of testing, and then if you've got another six people, you'd hope that five out of six would actually succeed, or six out of six even. It does help you to move a lot more swiftly. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of the agile environment that we're working is about iterative processes about moving quickly, so cutting out the middleman with all the sort of lengthy reports, that kind of thing, it's really
0: important. I mean, and what do you think we should be doing with the findings from the paper?
1: Yeah, a good question again, so, in that previous example, it's quite easy to just keep things going in that iterative process, but there are going to be other parts of the project where you need to prioritise what you take from the research findings. Yeah, there may be things that aren't really suitable for the the project at that particular time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, collaboratively, and this is where that relationship begins to work between the you know the business analyst or the product lead and the product owner, for example, is that you work out what to do with those findings and how to push them into the product roadmap where you want to deliver your stories and you know elements of things that are going to be developed and stuff. Yeah so the, the classic examples are if you just have a kind of user research feedback session and just talk everyone through the research that you've conducted. So what are the questions that you're asking, sort of the aims of the session itself. Um, you can show clips from sessions. So if we've recorded the usability session you can always take clips out of that to emphasise points. Or you can do things like if you've got all your notes written up on the post-it notes, for example, you can start to group them uh, like we did on that Yeah, project, which worked well, right? And get the team to stand around that, talk them through it, and get them to be part of the, you know, what do we do next? You know, how do we take this point that's come up? Um, it could be on, like, a data entry field on the form, for example. How do we move forward from there? What are we going to do about it? So, you know, the... the is on the researcher to facilitate that. Yeah. But it's really, again, it's really, really valuable involving the rest of the team and making those decisions.
0: Yeah, I think you, have again, alluded to the fact that it only works well when there's a massive buy-in from the whole team as a collective. It works better.
1: It works better. Um, and it takes a lot of pressure off the researcher, again, because there's often this sort of thing around the ratio of research to design, development, and mm. the other team members. Um, what, what you don't really want to have is the researcher who's just kind of doing all the work in isolation, and then mm-hmm. just coming up with this big bang thing at the end. It's a lot more helpful and inclusive if you make sure the team are involved. Um, just to go on to other techniques, so you've got the other classic ceremonies within the projects we work on, so you've got uh, show-and-tell mm-hmm. showcases where we might give an update on the research that we've been doing to date, mm-hmm. um, with some key headlines, maybe clips from usability sessions, that type of thing to emphasise the point. And that's
0: obviously to a wider stakeholder group. Why is it's it important group. sharing the wider stakeholder group for buying? Just to
1: show them, just to show them where things aren't maybe running so smoothly. So they may have a particular assumption mm-hmm. about the way a particular audience group is going to use the service. Your research might say that it's not being used in that particular way. So showing them and showing them the evidence can often help to change that mindset. You know, it might be that the researcher has different. Um, levels of skill set yep. so some might be stronger with the formative research that we talked about earlier on uh, and it might want to change into somebody who's a lot more adept with usability testing at the end but the key thing is to have a user research involved throughout the whole thing even to live and beyond so what you can't do is set up a service and just hope it's going to be fine after yeah. this yeah so the researcher should be working really closely with the business analyst If um, there's a sort of data performance analyst on board to work out how that service is going to be evaluated and improved later on. Yeah. So once it's in live running. And that will often depend on the beginning part of the project where the research probably should also have been involved in helping to set up the KPIs. You know, what do we want this service to do yeah. based on our research yeah. and our business analysis? Yeah. You'll have those performance measures and that should carry on all the way through to the end where, you know, you want to set up things like your web analytics, uh, regular sort of ongoing usability testing. And of course, products that are probably put into life service may need new areas of functionality or which will go back to kind of more discovery work. But yeah, planning for that's really important. So yes, it's you know from inception through to the end of beta, but there's also live and post-live, you know, so the researchers should be heavily involved in forming that too.
0: Yeah, because I think a lot, especially when you're working that agile kind of mindset, a lot of products are done the MVP just to get something out there to Absolutely. prove that, that leap of faith. Yeah. All right, but by doing that, you, you tend to put the earliest working part out. You still need to iterate, add new functionalities based on user research.
1: Yeah. So There's a point we made earlier on about what to do with findings. Mm-hmm. And as you say, you could be working down a fairly narrow path towards delivering MVP. But a lot of the research can cover areas that sit outside of that. Yeah. And it's managing... That pot of information, because that information can often inform the additional functionality. You know what happens once you've launched your MVP. Mm-hmm. You can't ignore that, so you have to manage it somehow. Yeah. So it's really useful to you know to make sure those findings are recorded. You might need to make a distinction, say actually this isn't valuable for MVP, yeah. and what what's in this roadmap at the moment, but it's going to be really useful for other areas of the service
0: yeah it's actually I, I think it's better the earlier you know the better prepared you are yeah. because your roadmap should like should be changing and you should be adding and, and removing adjusting your roadmap accordingly so the more insight the more data you have to back up new requirements upcoming kind of requirements that differ from what you initially planned the absolutely. better you are to deliver a product that would meet the, the end users needs absolutely
1: absolutely I, I, you know also, make sure there's no real surprises, you know, because you're informed. Yeah, you know, you know through the research that you have distinct user needs, you obviously put that work in to make sure that the user needs and the business needs are trying to form some sort of equilibrium. Mm. Um, but yeah, so all those other things you need to keep as well. So, you know, how do we then go and do new features? Well, actually, that's already come up in some of the research, and we recorded it here. Um, so it, it's tempting just to kind of ignore it and not record it because of the pace that you work at. Yeah. But it can be really, really valuable, so it's really important to... We saw the benefits of that in
0: the project we worked on together, right? Quite a few features that we ended up adding towards the end of the project were kind of realised earlier on, prototype and tested. Absolutely, and having that knowledge and sort of bank of research already
1: there means that you know if you do need to pick it up again you're not starting from scratch Mm. so you already have you know it might be quite lightweight in in some respects but at least you have some understanding of uh, user needs the pain points that they might be experiencing so you have a better idea of how to focus your research and move forward Um,
0: so yeah really really valuable. Dan thank you very much for that. The Chatter team is JT tacker V Rizazi and Olivia Sharp and maybe Laurie. If you have any questions or you want to get in contact with us, you can send us an email at marketing at Chatter, a podcast from kanos